Wildwood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, if you would, please take out your Bibles and turn in them to 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one under a chair in front of you, and you can find 1 Corinthians 10 on page 135 in the back part of that. It's been a very interesting summer for me. I took a trip to Latvia and then, as you know, took some time off. We really never left town except for one weekend that we went to Dallas. Um, I spent most of my time projecting. I had several pages of things that needed to get done and just to check them off the list. And I'll tell you, I was very ready to come back to work after all of that projecting over that time. But I was aware that it's been 30 years that we've been at Wildwood, and so I spent a little time working on my projects, reflecting a little bit. And I was thinking to myself, um, what spiritual perspectives have meant the most to me over 30 years? What biblical truths have had the deepest impact on my life? What ones have had a profound effect? And as I was reflecting on all of that, several things came to mind. But there was one particular focus that stood out that has had a ripple influence in my life. It's had a ripple influence in my spiritual perspective and in my spiritual life. And so I thought, coming back, I didn't realize this was happening today, but I thought it would be good to revisit what has maybe meant uh, the most to me in terms of understanding some biblical principles. And so it's something I've shared before. It's exciting to share it again. It's been very motivating to me personally. And uh, for those of you who don't know, I just want to just set this up by saying you need to know a little of my story. I, I came to trust in Christ as my rescuer from sin and judgment at the age of 11. Um, the good news of the gospel was laid out in a way that I understood what it meant, that I was under the judgment of God, that Christ took that judgment upon Himself, and that my response to Him needed to be to believe and to trust in Him for forgiveness and for my future. And I did that at the age of 11. But I never really grew very much spiritually. In fact, I believe I stayed a spiritual baby for many, many years. And I had little true understanding of Scripture. And even though I was in church, that happened to me. I, and maybe it was the teachers and, and the preachers and what they were speaking on. Maybe it was me. You know, uh, in the letters to the churches in Revelation 2 and 3, it says repeatedly, he who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says. So sometimes we can be around the truth of God, but our ears really aren't turned on. But for whatever, I, I just didn't have much of an understanding of things, and I had no real awareness of what the ultimate focus of the Christian life was to be especially an ultimate focus that is fulfilling down into the inner core of our being. What is the primary aim of your life and my life as believers in Jesus Christ? Is it to be happy? Is it to have fun? Is it to get married and have kids and raise a family? Um, is it to as Mark did such an excellent job for six weeks, is it to, to fish 
and to serve others. And all of those things have their place in the Christian life, but there's really something missing if that's all we look at. And for me, it, the light went on, and I'm not sure exactly what year. It's when I went to seminary, and it was, so it was either 1974 or 1975. And um, being in a seminary, you have these Bible teachers who come, and they will teach, and in 74, 75... John MacArthur came to Dallas Theological Seminary. And John MacArthur, by the way, is 70 years old right now. But when he came in 1974, he was a 35-year-old. And uh, myself, I was 23 years old. So I wasn't a whole lot older than some of you that are here. And he came and he taught. And... um, He talked about how there are many objectives that a follower of Christ has laid before them by God, but there is one supreme objective. And those of you who've known the Lord for a while know that when you come to know the Lord and you log some time with Him, there are life-changing moments that happen to you. Uh, There are spiritual pivot points, and you can go back and say, yeah, that weekend or this happened then, and And for me, when John MacArthur came to Dallas Seminary, it was a life-changing moment. And I can still remember him standing up and saying, what is the ultimate goal, the central focus, the master purpose, the supreme objective of the Christian life? And then he proceeded to delineate that answer from the Word of God. So it was a life-changing moment for me, a pivot point for me, and Maybe it would be even for you, for us to go through these things again. And over the years, I've interwoven this through our teaching. It's actually part of the mission statement of Wildwood Community Church, but it has made a revolutionary difference in my life, especially how I tend to view the mundane things of life. So I've entitled the message today, The Ultimate Fulfilling Focus of Life. And I know it's long, but it's carefully selected. It's the ultimate focus. It's the master purpose. It is the supreme objective. And this is what's so cool about it. It is truly fulfilling because I believe we were all created for this. And we find the deepest fulfillment in our life when we have this as the focus of our life. Now, we're going to look at three things. We're just going to get started this morning. Um, I want to start by looking at the comprehensive principle, and we're going to see this popping up in the Word of God. Then we're going to spend some time later on um, with some clarification, and then we're going to look at some specifics about how we actually do this. But I want to begin by looking at the comprehensive principle, and it's found in many places in the New Testament, but I want to start with 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31. If you have your Bible there, notice it says, Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, we have a week that will follow this Sunday. And in your week and in my week, there will be a large number of whatever you do's you're going to have a number of whatever you do is coming up. 
And you notice it says, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. The focus is that we are to glorify God, that we are to honor Him, that my aim, your aim, all of our aims are to be on His glory. Now, we could spend a long time on this. I just want you to see that this pops up all over the place in the New Testament. Look at uh, Colossians, the book of Colossians, the third chapter, and verse 17. We see this comprehensive principle coming out again. Notice it says in verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. You notice a similar wording here, whatever you do. What's he doing? He's laying out for us a comprehensive, all-inclusive principle. Whatever you do, he says, do all, just as it said in chapter 10 and verse 31 of 1 Corinthians, do all. The all is very emphatic here in verse 17, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when it says, whatever you do, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, it doesn't mean as we're doing things and our many do's that we have in the week, we're not just doing them and verbally saying, in Jesus' name I'm doing this, in Jesus' name I'm doing this, in Jesus' name I'm doing this. That's not what it means. When it says, do it all in the name of Jesus, it means the name stands for who He really is in harmony with who He is. Do all that you do in harmony with who God is. We want to honor God. We carry the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we're called Christians. Christ with an I-A-N on the end. And our identity, because we come to know Christ, is a lot more than being an American or an African or a Mexican or a Latvian. In the New Living Translation, it translates this verse this way, whatever you do or say, let it be as a representative of the Lord Jesus. And we know some of this stuff. It's just that our focus gets lost. We carry His name. And this is what amazes me. We have a role in establishing the reputation of our family name. We have a role in that. How we do what we do reflects back on Him. And what I really have found is that when you examine Scripture, giving glory to God is laid out as the ultimate goal, the master purpose, the supreme objective, not only for believers, this is what's interesting, but for the entire universe. <laughs> for the entire universe... The ultimate goal, the master purpose, the supreme objective is giving glory to God. In other words, everything that exists was designed by God to glorify Him. We're going to look at a number of verses. I hope you have your fingers limbered up. Look at Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11 and verse 36. Notice it says, for from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. 
The New Living Translation says, for everything comes from Him. Everything exists by His power, and listen to this, and is attended for His glory. To Him be glory evermore. Amen. The whole universe is designed to give honor and glory to God. You know, in Psalm 19, it it talks about the creation, and it says in the first verse there, it says, the heavens, remember this verse, declare the glory of God. And I really love what uh, John Piper has written. He wrote this. He says, sometimes people say that they cannot believe that if there is a God that he would take interest in such a tiny speck of reality called humanity on planet Earth. The universe, they say, is so vast it makes man utterly insignificant. Why would God have bothered to create such a microscopic speck called the Earth and humanity and then get involved with us? But then he makes this observation. He says, beneath this question is a fundamental failure to see what the universe is about. It is about the greatness of God, not the significance of man. God made man small and the universe big to say something about himself. Namely, that he is infinitely great and powerful and wise and beautiful. And he goes on to say, the more the Hubble telescope sends back to us about the unfathomable depths of space, the more we should stand in awe of God. The disproportion between us and the universe is a parable. It's a parable about the disproportion between us and God. It is an understatement, but the point is not to nullify us, but to glorify Him. I want you to think about it. That's what the whole universe is designed to do, to glorify and to honor God. Now, contrast that for just a moment with the world system of thinking that's out there. How do you find significance? What does the world system say? How do you find fulfillment? What does the world system say? Well, you find it through getting stuff. And hopefully it's the newest stuff, and it's the latest stuff, and it's the biggest stuff. Or the will come along and say, well, the way you find significance and and fulfillment is you, you make great accomplishments. If you get a lot of great accomplishments done, then you really have a sense of significance and fulfillment. Or maybe the world says it's found in sensuality, self fulfillment. Make yourself happy. Do what you want to do, and you'll feel most fulfilled. Or maybe the universe and the, and the world system is going to say to us, it's, it's when you find yourself, you know, you make a name for yourself. You can be who you really were meant to be, and you define what that is. Those are the examples of, of what the world system says. And isn't it any shock to us that those things prove to be hollow to people? They run after them because they say, that's where you find fulfillment. And a lot of times when they get those things or they accomplish those things or they experience those things, there's an emptiness on the inside because it misses the point. (laughs) We were created to glorify God. We were created and made to honor and glorify Him. 
Remember when Jesus was born in Luke chapter 2, he had a multitude of the heavenly host. What did they say? Glory to God in the highest. That's what it's all designed to be. Turn to the last book in the Bible, the book of uh, the Revelation in chapter number 14. I want to show you a couple of verses in chapter 14. Just to show you how this theme of the glory of God keeps coming up. And in, in chapter 14, this is end time events happening, and there is an angel that is flying in the mid heaven in verse 6. And the angel has an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth and to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. So you got the eternal message, it's going to every people group on the planet. And he says with a loud voice, notice what comes out of his mouth, fear God and give him glory. That's what we were designed to do. And he's saying this to the pagan peoples out there. Fear God, give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and the springs of waters. You know what really the essence of sinful rebellion is before a holy God? To not glorify Him. To not honor Him at all. Turn with me uh, to the book of Romans. And we're just establishing this comprehensive principle, Romans chapter 1. We don't have time to do much more than that this morning. We're just going to establish this principle. I just want you to see how this keeps coming up. Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, it says there, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that humanity is without excuse. All you have to do is look at creation and the awesomeness of it and the detail of it, and you know there's a God. But notice it says in verse 21, for even though they knew God, watch what happens here, they didn't honor Him as God. Literally, it says they didn't glorify Him as God or give thanks, and they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. And professing to be wise, they became fools. And then notice down verse 24, Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. And they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator. They didn't glorify Him. This is a comprehensive principle. We don't have time to really develop it very much, but you see it even in the life of the Lord Jesus. In John chapter 8, verse 50, he says, I don't seek my own glory. I'm seeking to glorify the Father. And when you, when you uh, go to uh, John chapter 12, you might turn there with me real quickly. John chapter 12 and uh, verse 27 and you see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And what is his focus? What is the focus that the Savior has on his mind? If you look at chapter 12, verse 27, he says, My soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? 
But for this purpose, I came to this hour. What is the purpose he came to that hour for? What's it say next? Father, Father, notice it there. Glorify your name. And then a voice came out of heaven and says, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. This is what it's all about. This is the comprehensive principle of it all. And I want you to look at one other passage here real quickly, Philippians chapter 2. We just were in Philippians 2 not too long ago, but it shows how this is ultimately going to play out. I mean, there's people who go, ah, glorify, honor God. I'm not going to worry about that. And yet, that's what everyone's going to do eventually. Everyone, if you're breathing, you will do this. You remember in chapter 2, verse 8, it talks about how Christ came to die on a cross and God highly exalted him, verse 9, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth, and number, or verse 11, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and notice what happens there, to the glory of God the Father. See, the whole universe is created to honor and glorify God. A number of years ago, um, in fact, back hundreds of years ago, when they wanted to teach people really what the Bible taught, they developed this little technique called a catechism. And a catechism was systematic teaching and instruction, and it was done through questions and answers. And one of those catechisms was the Westminster Shorter Catechism. It involved 107 questions. It was completed in 1647. So a lot of our predecessors in the faith learned this. And what they would do in a catechism is they would ask a question and then there would be an answer and you would, you would learn, this is a memory technique. For example, I'll just give you a couple of them here. Uh, what is justification? Answer, justification is an act of God's free grace. He pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in His sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and it is received by faith alone. Or another question, what is adoption? Adoption is an act of God's free grace whereby we are received into the number and have a right to all privileges of the sons of God. But here's what's interesting. Here's the question from the Westminster Shorter Catechism I want to think about for just a moment. And the question is this, what is the chief end of man? Now, this was written in 1647. You think, what is the chief end? What does that mean? If we're going to put it into modern vernacular, what is the primary purpose of man? What is the ultimate goal, the master purpose, the supreme objective? And the answer is, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. All they did is take what the Bible taught and summarized it in a very, very accurate manner. You were created to find your deepest fulfillment that you will ever have when you are giving God glory and honor. You were made for that. Now, there, there may be a potential confusion that might come you might be thinking, well, if God is perfect, how can I glorify Him? How can I 
add to His glory? Isn't He all that He should be? How does all of that work? Well, that's part of what we're going to begin to tackle next week when we look at the clarification of this. And we're going to go deeper into the practical part of all of this. But I just want you to know that this has long-reaching ramifications. It will have a deep impact in your outlook in life if you have this as your focus. It will have tremendous ramification in how you relate to other people. It will affect your life goals. It will make a difference in how you teach a Sunday school class. It will make a difference in how you fish. It will make a difference in how you share your faith. It will make a difference in the mundane things of life. And I was doing a whole lot of them (laughs) the last month or so. It'll make a difference when you clean your house, when you mow your grass. It'll make a difference in how you meet with and treat your employees. It'll make a difference how you relate to your parents. It will make a difference in your behavior on a date. So here's the life application for us. Life application for this week is very simple. It's going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31. Whatever you do... Do all to the glory of God. I want you to think about how our aim is to be His glory and His honor. Now, the initiation, by the way, into the glory of God comes when someone establishes a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you're listening to my voice and you've never done that, I want to invite you to look to the person of Christ. Because believe me, when you come to know him, you begin to come in contact with what you were created to really be. Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you so much just for the opportunity that we have the privilege to be able to assemble together in the name of Jesus Christ, to honor His name, to glorify Him. And we pray, Father, as we work our way through these thoughts on the ultimate fulfilling focus of life, that You would revolutionize not only the way that we think, but the way that we live our life. Thank You. Thank You. Thank You for being our God. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.